Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hey folks, I'm Sam Shansky. Thanks for listening to this Insights podcast by Diddy TV, where we offer behind-the-scenes interviews with musicians, producers, engineers, and other various and vital contributors to the world of music. Our guest on the show today is Garrison Starr, who for a while thought she was done playing music. A lifetime of trauma from her upbringing in a fundamentalist Christian household in Mississippi to more than two decades navigating the music industry left her spirit broken. Fortunately, she's reconciled the pain of her past, wrestled shame and self-doubt into submission, and stands in her powerfully bared truth with her new album, Girl I Used to Be, which is available now via Soundly Music. We're really happy to have Garrison on the show today. Amy Wright caught up with her to discuss her new album, her background, and much more. So take a listen, and I'll catch you at the end. You're listening to Insights by Diddy TV. Garrison, welcome back to Diddy. It's so great to have you today. Oh, my God, thank you so much. I was so excited uh, when the talks about doing this started happening because I, I love you guys. I'm super, you know, Robin and I go way back, so it's awesome to be with you. Right back at you. And, of course, we've had you in the studio, and I've seen you at AMA and various other places. We've come come across each other. But you're kind of a you're kind of a hometown girl. You're you're not far from uh, you didn't grow up far from Memphis. Yep, I grew up in Hernando, Mississippi, um, and I actually went to Evangelical Christian School, uh, well Whitehaven Presbyterian, and then you know I went to private schools the entire time in Memphis. So I grew up in Hernando, but I also grew up in Memphis. So and I mean I kind of see that as one big metropolitan area anyway. You know I'll always say I'm from Memphis because you know I am. So. It is. It's it's Memphis is one of those tri-state areas where you got a little bit of Arkansas, a little bit of Mississippi, and uh, a right. little bit of Tennessee. And of course, I love those T-shirts that say, "When you're really bad, they put you in a corner," and it has Memphis over there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, I want I want one of those T-shirts. I've never seen that T-shirt. I'm going to Google that. I want that. Yeah, I'm going to get you one because those are they're just they're oh, great. They're just great. I I love that. I love that. Because it's, it's always funny when people say, where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from northwest Mississippi, Memphis. And they're like, wait, I thought Memphis was in Tennessee. I'm like, pull out a map. You know what I mean? Just pull out a map. <laughs> I know my, my husband, who's from California, so he's, he's really more from where you are right now. Um, and he, uh, he said that when he first heard about Memphis, he thought that Memphis was somewhere else in Tennessee. He didn't realize how far west it was. And, and right. you Google yeah. it and you realize, hey, we're more close to Arkansas than we are, you know, the East Coast. That's right. We're really more towards the Midwest almost. Right on the river, yeah. It's funny, I watched The Firm a couple of nights ago, that Tom Cruise movie, you know, the John Grisham novel, and uh, I, I, I got nostalgic for Memphis in the early days. Yeah, well, we'll have to get you back out here when we can all travel again and be in, be in each other's Ugh. personal presence and all that kind of fun stuff. I can't. I literally cannot wait. I can't wait for that day. I'm so excited. Well, we're, we're going to talk to you today about your, your album, Girl I Used to Be. It's, it's a great album, so we'll get to that. But the first song, The Devil in Me, really is a little bit about how you grew up. And so I thought it'd be fun just to kind of go back and talk a little bit about that, too, because like you just said, you grew up evangelical or going to an evangelical Christian school. And that's a lot of us in the South grew up evangelical. And uh, on the one hand, it's a very emotional 
kind of church. So there are a lot of musicians that come out of evangelical churches. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of, you know, restrictions. Uh, and uh, what was that like for you, you know, growing up in, in that um, sort of world? And how did you sort of migrate those waters and get past all of that? <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for the question. Um, it's interesting because I remember initially growing up, I felt really safe. You know what I mean? Because I knew everybody and it was just like, I don't know, like, I just felt like no bad things would happen. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But then as as I started, I mean, because I figured out, I started realizing I was gay from a super young age, or at least at the very least that I was attracted to women. I, I don't remember not being attracted to boys at all, but I just, there wasn't, there, the curiosity really wasn't there. Like, I didn't feel necessarily a sexual attraction to men. I felt like... Oh, he's cute. Then let's make out. But I didn't really feel like a sexual attraction. But I always felt a sexual pull, even from a young age, you know, to females. I just, you know, and so once I started realizing, like correlating what I was hearing, people in that evangelical fundamentalist world, you know, once I heard what they were saying and I correlated that with what I was feeling, um, I remember, I remember just feeling scared. I remember feeling anxiety and I remember going into a protective mode really early, just knowing that, you know, from a young age that um, these people were not emotionally safe for me, you know, because I knew ultimately what would happen if I were to be honest about what I was feeling. I knew I would be, you know, at the very least reprimanded and told to change. And I, I can remember as a kid feeling like, oh, my God, well, this is a perfect example. My aunt gave me a puppy when I was six. She rescued a puppy and she said, are you going to name her crackers or cheese? And of course she was joking, but like, I didn't get the joke. I literally thought, oh, well, crackers or cheese. I'm like, I don't really like either of those names, but I would feel weird naming my dog cheese. So I named her crackers. So I use that as an example because I remember thinking like, oh, well, if I'm, you know, really telling the truth about what I'm feeling, if I try to be my authentic self here, I'm going to go to hell and that's bad. But this other choice, and it sounds great, except for I'll have to lie about who I am. And I just always remember thinking, like, why can't I just be me? Why can't I just be me and make the choices I want to make? You know, and and I, I just uh, I think back about it now, and it makes me really sad that I that I had so much anxiety for my entire childhood, um, you know, feeling like what I might want to, you know, reach for or what kind of life I might want to make for myself was not an option. You know, yeah. Well, and it, it's tough enough growing yeah. up as a teenager in general because you're judged. No matter you know yeah. what you do, you're going to be judged, and you feel no that judgment what. more than when you get older. I think you start to reconcile things, but uh, with with uh, that type of situation where it's uh, religious based, um, it really is permeating permeating more of your life than 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 say something at school and. Um, it it's, it's, it can be very hard to reconcile that over time. I think I think one can, but it t- takes time. Yeah, it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of work. And I think it it really takes a reckoning with yourself. You know, I mean, I think for me in my own experience, like, I mean, just a song like "Make Peace with It" that's on the new record. You know, I remember writing that song and feeling I remember getting to a place of surrender uh with that song with the process of writing it and thinking like man 
I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't fight this battle anymore. Whatever happened back there happened back there. And I have got to start moving forward from here. No matter if I, if nobody, if every single person didn't take accountability to me, you know, whatever it is, whatever, you know, I that wasn't dotted or T that wasn't crossed emotionally or righteously for me personally, I realized if I'm going to move forward in my life from here, I have to let that go and forgive it. You know what I mean? I have to forgive it because it's only hurting me. It's certainly not hurting anybody else, you know, in the church who was involved in that, you know, emotional abuse. They don't care. They went on to emotionally abuse another kid and continue to, you know, do whatever they were doing, you know, and and I can't hold that anymore, you know. Well, and what did what did growing up playing music and when did you start playing the guitar? Well, I started playing guitar when I was either 12 or 13. I went to um, Strong River Camp and Farm down in Pinola, Mississippi. I don't even know if it's still there anymore. But um, the camp, the, the leader of the camp, her name was Tay Gillespie. And I, I remember, and it was a little bit of a Christian camp, I think, looking back on it. Every morning we would have a little gathering and there would be a prayer. And she would say, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Make the most of it. I remember that. I did think that was cool. But anyway, I went down there and the camp had international counselors. That was one of the things that was cool about it. Everybody was, a lot of those people were from different countries. And I remember one guy uh, from, he was European. I don't remember where he's from exactly, but he was teaching guitar. And I started, uh, I, I mean, I went and picked up the guitar and I started playing it and I could just play it, you know, um, whereas the piano, my mom put me in piano lessons, which now I wish I had continued with. Um, and I, the piano, I just didn't get, but the guitar, I really took to, it just made sense to me. And, you know, so, so 12 or 13. Yeah. And, and so was music a big part of your life all through high school? And, uh, I mean, yeah, you- it, I was always writing songs and playing. I mean, I learned, I played by ear and I just picked apart, you know, every Indigo Girls song, even like the band Europe. I was a big fan of the, the final countdown record. I tried to learn those songs. I, I learned Blowing in the Wind. I learned, uh, you know, uh, what's that um, uh, Brian Adams song? I, I don't know. I've learned anything I heard on the radio. I just would pick it up and, and try to learn it. And, you know, yeah, so I was, I was playing uh, all through. I mean, ever since I started playing guitar, I started writing songs and learning songs. And, you know, that was my, that was my escape, I think. That was my safety, safety place. Were you performing as well? Or just playing, playing for yourself? Well, no, I was performing too. I, I would play in the church or I'd play for my friends or, you know, I'd play in the youth group or whatever it may be in high school. I had a little group with my friend Gracie Young, Gracie Smythe now, but Gracie and I, we were Gracie and Garrison and we'd go play at chapels, like, at, you know, chapel halls and other schools. And uh, we wrote our own songs. Our first uh, cassette was called Five Songs to Fame. It was pretty awesome. We like got everybody to give us cash up front and that's how we paid for the cassettes. And then, you know, we, it was, it was a cool little business we had going, but yeah, I was always performing. Well, you came out of the gate pretty strong because after high school, I think it was only a year and a half later that you were um, signed to Geffen Records. And what was that like being say 20 years old, 19 or 20? And that had to have been a crazy time. You know, it was. It's funny to look back on that because, you know, on the one hand, it made sense to me that I got a record deal because that's, you know, I was just like, well, this is what I do. I'm an artist. This is what I believe. This is who I am. And I just always had a belief that it would happen, you know, that good things would happen. You know, I I just believed in that. 
Um, but at the same time, it was crazy because it's like, oh, well, the, our, my dreams are coming true. How crazy, you know? And also it was, you know, I was in a time where I was coming out of this utter humiliation, you know, from all Miss where I was outed and, you know, basically everyone was freaked out about me being gay and I left school and it was a big thing. It was a big scandal. And um, so I was in the midst of that, you know, trying to unravel that whole thing, but really not doing a whole lot of work spiritually around that. I was just stuck, you know, kind of in an identity crisis. But then I've got this this beautiful, wonderful thing, dream coming true over here, getting signed to a big record label. So it's like, you know, it was odd because I had some of those people who had been like, you know, you have to repent of your sins. Also celebrating, you know, me in this other light, you know, getting signed to a, a big record deal and wanting to be a part of that, you know, so, so it was exciting for the most part, but it was also confusing at the same time, you know? That's the word I was going to use is that's very confusing because on the one hand, um, someone is, 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 you know, putting you down for your per- who you are. And on the other hand, they're celebrating who you are um, on, on a different level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. And I, you know, and I think for the most part at that time, you know, the, the Geffen deal was my ticket out. You know, not that I don't love Memphis or that I don't love where I'm from, because I do. But at that time, it wasn't safe or healthy for me to be in the environment I was in. So, like, getting the opportunity to move to L.A., you know, and start this new chapter and kind of be in a totally different world, I think it it gave me—it was a gift of freedom to get to a place where I could just explore and be totally anonymous without having everybody up in my bushes. You know what I mean? So that was a huge gift. That was a huge gift. So your first album was Pinwheels, and yeah. you worked with Nielsen Hubbard? Yep, Nielsen Hubbard, N-E-I-L-S-O-N, Nielsen. Yeah, he and Clay Jones and I made uh, made that Pinwheels record together, and Nielsen and I have been making music ever since. Um, but, you know, it's funny because Pinwheels is a lot like this new record. If you think about it, it really is, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about it because, you know, Pinwheels was just me. You know, not that 18 over me wasn't me, but 18 over me was kind of, um, I don't know, it was, uh, it was a different version of me. Whereas Pinwheels was like, just so honest and raw and just like me and my acoustic guitar, you know, I, I love that about, and those were the first real songs, you know, I had, I had been writing, you know? So yeah, that whole time was really special. Well, and I know that, that, um, so, so that was sort of late 90s, early 2000s, and, uh, you're, you know, you're putting out some of your own music. But along the way, you also are a songwriter, so you're writing music for other people as well. And I know that's been a big part of who you are, and it, and it, and it played an important role, I guess, in your, in your personal development, but also you as an artist. Yeah, it, it has very much. Um, uh are you asking me kind of like how that process started? Yeah, how, how did you get? How, yeah, how did you start uh, writing with uh, for other people? And I know that that one one of the albums was it with Margaret Cho. It was gr- Grammy nominated, and uh, so that had yeah. been gratifying uh, to to see your your children go go someplace and. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And that was a that was a a really interesting project because you know Mar- Margaret has just been such a a sweet um and just supportive and close friend for so many years. I mean, she's been a fan for a long time since Superhero and um having her come to me and ask me to write some songs with her and then produce her album was um was just such a 
compliment and such an awesome opportunity. Um, and yeah, she's a really good songwriter. She's a really cool artist. I, I think that record's really great. I love the songs on it. But yeah, the Grammy nomination thing was crazy. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, Rich Jacks, who won a Grammy for a children's record that he produced and and wrote on. And it was funny because when he got the nomination, he was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's okay. You know, you kind of try to talk yourself out of being in that situation. And I did the same thing. I was like, whatever, it's cool. We probably won't win. You know what I mean? But yeah, but it, but it's an honor to have been nominated and to got to have gotten to work with her. Um, but yeah, sorry. I feel like I got off on a bunny trail. No, no. And I, I didn't really know that, that a lot of your music or some of your music has been uh, in various TV shows or, or movies. Yeah. And that's always, I think a lot of people don't really understand what that is for an artist, but, but those are sync rights and those are important, you know, while you're touring and you're selling albums, these are, it's another way to, to make money. Um, And it's, and it's an important way and um, probably get your music out there too and heard to even a bigger audience. Well, yeah. And like for somebody like me who is just so, um, what is it? Left brain is the left brain, the creative side and the right brain is like the logical. Yeah. I am all the way to the left. Like I don't, I didn't want to talk about business. I didn't want to talk about money. I didn't want to take responsibility for any of that. When I first started, that's your job. That's your job. Just do everything so that I can be successful and make money, which it's kind of gross at this point in my life to think about thinking about everything that way that's so entitled you know to to with where i'm sitting right now and what i believe and all the work i've done around and all the books i've written by or i've read by brene brown and jensen chero and elizabeth gilbert and like you know listening to oprah talk about gratitude and what i know now i'm like ew you no wonder you were stuck you know what i mean if that's the way you were thinking about everything just let me sit here and let people give me stuff but um Anyway, in the beginning of the whole thing, you know, I just didn't have a good handle on the business side of it and what was possible in that way. Because I think it feels overwhelming a lot of times for creative people. I know it does for me. And the thing is, the business opportunities, man, that can take you in so many different directions that can actually afford you a life to be an artist. You know what I mean? Like, I think I used to think about writing with other people as like a weakness. I don't know. I just had these funny beliefs about things that I sit here now and go, man, you were so, you were restricting yourself. Like I was restricting myself so much from all these other opportunities that would have made my life easier at the time. You know, like back when there were advances, like you might get a hundred grand here or 50 grand there for just signing some dumb record deal or a publishing deal. You know, did I ever take any of that money and invest it? No, I did not. I spent it all. I MC hammered it all over Memphis just to, you know, Giving it away and just wanting people, whatever my reason was for doing it, whether it was, you know, I don't know, whatever it was. The point is, it was dumb, you know. So when I realized at a certain point that I needed my songs to start making me money, I had a really good friend, Nene Camps. I will be forever grateful to her for coming along and just saying, look, what are you doing? Why are you sitting around here feeling sorry for yourself? You need to be writing songs. Write some songs with me and we'll get some placements and we'll make some money in TV and film. And um, and so, you know, she was my real first foray into that world. And then I remember asking friends who were getting placements on One Tree Hill and stuff, how are you doing that? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, that has been a, the collaborations with other people has been and just diversifying my business as a songwriter has been one of the smartest things I ever did, because not only are you casting a lot of nets all over the place, just giving yourself more opportunities, 
you know, to uh, be successful, but you are creating content and you're exercising that muscle all the time and you're, you know, getting to celebrate other artists and other producers. You're learning all this stuff that's so rich and important, you know, in moving forward and creating a bigger industry for yourself. I just, you know, I, I just, that's something I had to figure out on my own. You know, I was not, either nobody told me or most likely I was not in a place where I wanted to hear that when someone was trying to, to tell me that, you know what I mean, when I was young. Well, we were all young and, and dumb. I mean, I think, you know, we all, <laughs> we all, we all could, could have used a little more wisdom back then, but it is overwhelming. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. uh, I, uh, you know, look back and I think, why did I make that decision? I'm not really sure. Yeah, you just want to slap that person. Yeah. You just want to go, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Right. <laughs> just listen to me. <laughs> I think yeah. you would be a good person to ask this question to, but I think there's been a real shift in the the record business in the uh, since the 90s to today, mm-hmm. uh, more so than any other time period before that. And it seems to me that as an artist, and this gets back to the business side of it a little bit, but there's a little more control over what you're doing because there are all these tools out there. Now it's overwhelming because there's so many things out there and so many options that, that you have to mm-hmm. sh- sift through. But it, but it seems like uh, that, you know, some, some of the traditional ways you, you have to engage, had to engage as an artist with labels, et cetera, has been broken down and there's just a lot more uh, options available for, for artists. Well, that is true. And I, and what's coming up for me as you're saying all this, because you're I think you're exactly right about that. I think like the 90s, that's the last time, you know, somebody who had a hit song remembers making a ton of money off of it. Like since then, it, it, there's just no comparison. You know, the money you get paid for a job you did now that you're doing now as a songwriter, you know, and an artist, performer, whatever the money you're making now is nothing like it was, I mean, in the 80s, you know what I mean? But in the 90s, I mean, that's the last, you know, with the 2000s came streaming and, you know, just more uh, consolidation, corporate consolidation, more, you know, less revenue streams and just more greed, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's capitalism is, capitalism is the hungry hippo. I mean, it's out of control, you know, and don't get me wrong. I think everybody should make as much money as they can, but it's like, you know, you really have to go out of your way, you know, to figure out how to do that in this country. You know what I mean? You really do. So, um, but I will say that in terms of there being more opportunities, there are, but if you think about it from an industry standpoint, those record labels have just now gone and started you know, buying into Spotify and all these other opportunities, that's just another place where the record, that's just another record label's playground, honestly. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe some young person at Spotify hears your song and they put you in, they they get you in there because nobody's ever heard of you before. But the idea that things go viral, that's not a thing. Somebody's paying for that. Someone owns that. Somebody's friends with the guy at YouTube who got you in that. I mean, I just think you got to be realistic. People need to know that. There's no such thing as... Oh, yeah, my song went viral, unless you're 13 and no one's ever heard of you and somebody discovered that they could make money off of you, you know? I think you have to think about it as a business. It's not personal. This is how it works. If you want to be successful at it, figure out how to get in touch with X, Y, and Z person, you know? Right. I think I think it's even more important now that, that artists really uh, 
collect and connect with their fans because yes. that, that personal connection, it isn't just about selling an album to, to someone. You really need them to come to see your shows. You need them to be interested in you as a person and as an artist um, because That's right. you, you can have your, your bubble of, of fans that support your career um, and, and kind yeah. of, you know, semi try to ignore some of the, the distractions that are out there because there's so much. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I think actually to your point, I think the fan, the fan engagement, the grassroots side of things that I remember that, you know, being there, being a part of, man, I used to handwrite my own newsletters and draw pictures on them and snail mail them in the 90s. I did that just because I wanted to. Nobody told me to do that. I had a mailing list and I reached out to people in Memphis, you know, like that in the beginning. And I feel like that you know, grassroots stuff is coming back around again through social media. You know, I mean, I think that's true. People people understand the need for the engagement now, you know, where that was missed for a time, you know. And I think that's a cool thing. I just, you know, again, it's with the channels, the limited channels that we have that are all corporate, you know, you just have to get in there and play the game as best you can, you know, and make it work for you as an artist wherever you are, you know, in your in your career, you know. And know that that's what it is. You know what I mean? I have to say that to myself, too, because sometimes I forget. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I think of social media because I'm so old I can remember this. But I remember when <laughs> when they were there was like a fax machine, fax machine. And um, in the beginning of faxes, they would fax jokes across fax machines. And, oh and, and um <laughs> You know, it was like social, social media because you could actually get this to this person. This is before email, right before email, mm-hmm. but right before email. And and so, you know, people would get these jokes. And then after a while, people are like, that's that's not really cool to do that. You know, it's sort of clogging up the fax machine. And so, you know, you, you, you sort of fast forward and then email went through that same thing where everyone's emailing all this stuff and, and uh, just junk, you know, all over the place. And that kind of ended with the emails, not as much, you know, some, some a little bit. But then social media comes along, and it's just a new way of communicating. So now we have, sure. we have social media, and there's, you know, all the craziness that goes along with social media. But then there's, there's the power of that tool. And so once you sort of harness the power, and as, as an artist, I can only imagine what that opens up for you and your ability to connect with your fans, it's a powerful tool, for sure. It it is a powerful tool. And I'll tell you, I, um, you know, this is the first time I've really had a team in a long time, you know, have a label and a publicist and a manager and a booking agent. Like I have all these team members right now. And, um, you know, they have been working so hard, especially on the label side. Well, all everybody's working so hard to make those personal connections with the story of the record and kind of bringing me back into the fold as an artist. And, um, you know, one of the things we've been talking a lot about, especially on the label side is, you know, that it's important to go into these accounts and really look at what people are saying and respond to them. Because, you know, just on a human level, it's really nice that they took the time to come in and tell you what they're thinking and how they're feeling and to say thank you to you, you know. And, you know, I just never understood. I think I lost sight of that service piece for a while. You know, it was all about me in the beginning. And then, you know, I've, I've gone through this sort of process of self-forgiveness and and understanding grace and taking ownership and now being empowered by that 
and excited by that to move forward, you know, and now I realize that, man, it's not just about me when I get up on the stage. It's not, you know, it's not like I did anything to get this gift. I didn't do anything. I woke up, opened my mouth and stuff came out and it sounded good and people liked it. You know, that isn't about me. To me, that is a spiritual gift, you know? And so when I think about it like that, I feel a responsibility when I make, when I talk about things and I feel a responsibility when I get on stage to play music. But like, I want to make sure that it's a good experience and it's a connected experience for everybody, you know? And that's a new thing for me. Uh, that's a new thing for me. I like it. I like it too. And I like the new album, Girl I Used to Be. And would you say that, that, you. that that's a, a little bit of a culmination of where you are in your life and and like, like you've been describing, that self-forgiveness and coming to terms with um, growing up and all those things and maybe everything you went through as an artist, but it seems like a lot of that is coming out on this album in maybe a different way. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? One of the things I love, well, there's two kind of fun facts about the record that I love to talk about. And one is when, you know, when I when I was writing all these songs, in my mind, they were for somebody else. None of them were for me because I wasn't an artist anymore. Like I was too old. I'm too this. I'm gay. Nobody cares. People don't understand. I'm irrelevant. Whatever the story was I was telling myself, I was like, well, maybe I'm done with that part of my career. You know, maybe I'll just make money writing songs. But then I get into these rooms and and I'm like, I think I've taken off the artist hat. Now I'm just a songwriter. I'm like, you know, I'm finding out, well, some of these people don't even know what they want to say. And I feel like I do know what I want to say, which is part of the reason I'm in the room. And then, you know, well, what am I if I'm just a songwriter? What does that mean? Like, I don't think I'm just that. So like over a period of time, I started realizing that I actually was the artist in the room and that, you know, in those moments where I thought, well, I'm helping somebody else tell their story. I realized, no, 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 they were helping you tell your story. And that is so humbling and so beautiful to me. Like, I just I love that. There are nine songs on the record and seven of them are co-writes. You know, all songs that I thought this younger, prettier artist or, you know, a younger, more relevant artist was going to take and put on a record and make us all some money. And it was like, actually, no, those people were helping you to tell a story you needed to tell. And like, you know, when I looked at all these songs we had written, I was like, wow, I have a record full of stuff that that I love and that in this speaking to me. And that was so exciting. And then when we went to make the record, the other thing I love about this album in kind of back to the pinwheels thing, you know, it's full circle because I knew that it had to be honest. I knew it had to be real and it had to sound like me, you know, it couldn't sound like it was trying to be anything, but what it is, you know, me and my acoustic guitar singing my songs. And so I went to Nielsen Hubbard and I was like, you're the only person who can do this. You'll keep me honest. You're going to you're going to make it great. You're going to tell me when it's great and when it's not great. You're going to hold me to the truth inside of me. And so when we got together to make it, he was just like, how do you want to do it? And I just said I wanted to sit down with my acoustic guitar and play my songs. I, I was like, I don't care if there's a band around me. I don't care. I just want to do that. And so I did that. I did that first with no click, just sat down and played all the songs, you know, one or two takes. And then Nielsen and I built all the arrangements around that. No click, no nothing, just me and my guitar. And I think that's why the record sounds like a living, breathing thing, because it is, you know, it pushes and pulls and I don't know, it's just real. I'm just so proud of it. You know, I feel so good about it and I haven't felt this good about anything I've done in a really long time. 
Was it was it exciting or or scary to get your personal stories out there? Because it's a one thing when you're writing about somebody else, right? And then when we write yeah. about ourselves, whether it's poems or books or songs, uh, you know, you there's a little bit of you in there or a lot of you in there. And so at this point in your life, was excited? Was it exciting to get that story out, or was it still scary? No, it felt exciting because it feels because you know when I first came out or whatever. I mean, I don't even know what that means because I was outed. You know, when I was outed, you know, I was not in control of the narrative. I didn't even get a chance to decide. I didn't even know how I felt about my own sexuality in that moment. You know, before I had people in my face you know, telling me what they thought about me and what I'm going through or who I am, you know? So I feel in control of this story. You know what I mean? And in a good way that I feel that I've done enough work and I've seen enough and have enough of a perspective to tell this story from a more forgiving, graceful, and honest place, you know? And it feels, it doesn't feel like blame. It doesn't feel like shame. It feels like the truth. You know, and I'm so excited about that. And where did you record the album? In Nashville at Skinny Elephant Recording. It's uh, Nielsen. It's a uh, Dylan Aldridge. Um, it's his studio. He and Nielsen worked together a lot. And the studio used to be Nielsen's because Nielsen used to live in that house. But anyway, he still does a lot of work at that studio. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really special. It's really cool. So what have you been doing besides music over the last year? Everyone, you know, we all know we couldn't tour. Artists can't tour. Uh, what have you been doing besides music? I've been playing golf. I've been working on my golf game. That's a fun one to work on. Yeah, but you know what's good about it is it wor- it helps you work on your mental strength. You know, wor- it's a very spiritual experience. You know what I mean? It helps. It really does. I've been doing a lot of yoga and golf, and they kind of work together. Let me tell you, Garrison, a funny story. When when I was younger, I didn't play golf, and this guy friend of mine says to me, uh, we should go take golf lessons because it's good for business and meeting people. And I said, okay, you know, that sounds good. And he goes, I've never played golf either, so we'll go down. So there was, there was this beginner golf class, and, you know, literally, you're learning how to putt and learning how to drive. And, um, you know, he takes to it. Like nobody's business. So three lessons in, the instructor said, he was driving at like 200 and something yards. And the instructor goes, <laughs> oh, my God, you're, you're a natural, you know. We're going to move you out of this beginner class. We're moving you like up a couple of levels because you're just phenomenal. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just going to be such a great golfer. And, of course, now I'm stuck by myself in this beginner golf class. And we get to the end of it. That's awful. Yeah. And the uh, instructor goes, well, they do offer this class again. Um, the beginner class next uh, next semester, and so you might want to take the beginner class again. <laughs> and so uh, that that's how good I was. So uh, and your friend your friend like gets bumped up and just leaves you in the dust. Did you stick with it or did or did you say screw it? I, well, I, you know I'll play some if someone wants me to play with them, but I am the head. So so I'll go along because yeah. people want me to, and it's fun. Um, but I, I wish I was better, yeah. maybe over time, when I have a little more time. But uh, maybe we'll play a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes work, for sure. Well, Garrison, it was a pleasure talking to you, as always. Can't wait to see you again. 
in person. Thank you so much for having me. I really, what a great interview. Thanks. What a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity so much. Stay safe. And um, we'll we'll talk to you very soon. That sounds good. Y'all be good. I'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Garrison Starr. Don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.